This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, what's up, guys? You like our podcast? You want to make your own? You have all the power, all the resources you need to make your own podcast. That's right. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you a rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish video podcasts to Spotify, which is super important. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. That's right. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is anchor.fm to get started. It's what we use. We get a little kickback from it and we appreciate it. So if you guys want your own podcast, go to Anchor. .fm to get started. Peace. Hello and welcome to the Anatomy of Marriage podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Studley. My name is Seth Studley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Thank you for joining us today. Today we're talking, we're revisiting episode 8 of season one. Of season one, that wasn't a story. That is the name of the episode, and it's all about communication. But before we dive into that episode, if you're new here, welcome. We have over 300 shows all about marriage and marriage-related stuff because marriage is hard, and we want to make it better for you. That's right. And this whole podcast exists because we're awesome, and also <laughs> we are creating the resources that we wish we had when we were going through all that stuff. And before we dive into this awesome episode, I want to thank our patrons. Uh, you can go to Patreon dot com forward slash anatomy of marriage to support what you like and that's the cool part about this if you don't like it don't give us money if you do like it then give money yeah and, when you support the awesome. show on patreon you make it possible for us to keep making it so that's thank right. you for the people who support us uh air horn um, and go to patreon.com forward slash anatomy of marriage to become part of that group and thank you all right so we will uh, throw you guys back over to the show. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back in a gif. All right. Enjoy. That's not really a story. That was a thought. Sorry. Tell it like a story. I don't have a story. We have a million stories. Like, tell me a Welcome back to Stronger Marriages Podcast, where we explore why marriages really succeed and fail. I'm your host, Melanie, and last week I gave you not one, but two full episodes on sexuality and intimacy. But today, we're talking all about talking. Sort of. This episode is all about communication. And I'm going to let Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott get us started. So communication is the lifeblood of a relationship. Uh, You can gauge the... um tenor, the the warmth, the intimacy, the connection, the friendship, whatever you want to call it in a relationship based on how well they're communicating. If people aren't communicating well, the relationship is not going well. So it's the lifeblood. Mm -hmm. And words convey so much, you know, and and actually even not words, but subtle things like if we roll our eyes at each other, that that's powerful. And sarcasm, you know, can be a, a sign of contempt, actually. But 
But this is where our families really do shape us. Sarcasm might be a sign of playful connection and attachment for another person. And so that's where you have to become aware. You know, I know what your motives are and I know how it hits me. Let's find our way through this because awareness is really curative in those moments. You don't take it to heart in the same way if you realize, wow, your family does playful teasing and it's all about who can, you know, give the best zinger. And that means I love you the most, you know, versus that's wounding and no one who loves me would ever speak to me that way. So when it comes to communication, so many people get hung up on trying to get the skills of communication right. right. When you begin to take communication and apply rules to how it's done, it can really cause some friction for couples. I'm not against those rules. We all need that skill set. So Seth and I sat down with our producer, Matt, and his little baby <coughs> to share some stories about our terrible communication. We would have a lot of arguments. Do you remember that? Do you know? I've been wanting to share this, actually, on our honeymoon. Seth said we should get a divorce. Uh, In Maui. And he wasn't kidding. Yeah, I've heard that story before. And I've heard it from uh, other people. Like, that's actually relatively... Oh, you common. mean other couples? I've heard of other couples had that kind for a of minute, thing I thought you meant, on their honeymoon. I thought you meant other people told you our story. And I'm like, like, what? what? <laughs> Who in the world? I remember you splashed me in the face in the pool. Yeah, is that like, like ridiculous? Is, is that what Les was saying there? Like sarcasm, maybe to you, you thought it was an okay thing or a good thing or a playful thing. And to her, she thought it was a no, assault. No, it was the opposite. Mm-hmm. I always thought, so in our family, sarcasm is like our primary language. Mm-hmm. Everything is mm-hmm. like, nice job. Everything is like that. Right. And so... When I would be sarcastic to him, he would get really upset yeah. with me, and then it would just it would just be a fight. But like, was the splashing thing, for instance, you took him splashing you, he meant it playfully, and you took it as it. Well, what he did was he, I was swimming away from him, and he grabbed my foot and pulled me, so I went under and choked. Yeah. <laughs> and so to me, that oh, and felt... Then, <laughs> and then you splashed me, and I was like, really, I was like, what the hell? And yeah, then, you were like, mad at me. because I, I left s- the pool... Yeah, so and like, they wanted to get a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yes. So right away, this conversation doesn't even feel like it's about communication, right? That's because communication is like a knot in really, really long hair. At some level, you understand that it is just a bunch of twisted up individual strands of hair. But at the exact same time, you're looking at a hot mess of hair and can't tell one piece from the other because they're so mixed up. That is communication. It is tied to our family of origin, it is tied to our level of understanding and education, it's tied to our experiences and our identity. I mean, it's just plain old tied to everything. And when Seth and I started dating, we miscommunicated like 99% of the time. And that's partially due to the fact that our dating relationship was very atypical. I know you already know this, but when we were dating, Seth was in a band and was touring the country with a bunch of dudes in a van while I was back in Washington finishing up college. And every time I try to talk to Seth about this stuff, he brings up all of these clinical things that to me feel like, yeah, yeah, whatever, sure, those matter a little bit, but there's gotta be something more to the idea that we were very seldom together. And then when we were together, I was competing with his six best friends for his attention and we were never alone. Like I said, very atypical. But we weren't the only ones dating while in a band. In fact, we were surrounded by couples who were a lot like us, living crazy lives apart or even crazier lives together on the road. I crawl up to the front of the van. Meet Christy and Matt McDonald. I was like, what are you going to do? I'm driving like, what are you going to (laughs) do? They are the beautiful voices behind the band Vocal Few. Matt also happens to be the frontman of the band The Classic Crime. When we got um, married was right right before my band signed to Tooth & Nail Records. And uh, 
So, like, two months after we were married, we're finally able to live together and, you know, start up a life together. I was, I, I went to uh, record in the studio for, like, seven weeks. So I was gone. She was still getting her immigration stuff sorted, so she couldn't work. Christy is Canadian. And so it was a big dynamic shift for her. When we got back from the studio, we started making plans to tour pretty intensively all of 2006. We just decided since she couldn't work and she didn't really have much going on that she would just come with us on the road. And, uh, she, you know, we would have her do sort of tour manager responsibilities or, you know, run merch and stuff like that. Life on the road is really weird. I only went on tour with Seth's band Emery like one or two times. And while it was super fun, it wasn't exactly my favorite way to live. Typically, there's like eight of you crammed into a crappy van or a converted old school bus. You can't really shower anywhere. You eat junk food. You stay up all hours of the night loading and unloading gear. It's sweaty, stinky, and just crazy. Uh, being on the road with, with guys in a, in a band is kind of like a marriage in a way. Like everyone's in close proximity. We have to live together and we have to compromise and we have to overcome struggle and adversity together. And then you throw an actual marriage uh, in the mix. It becomes really difficult to, you know, to get alone time, to overcome those little things. You know, I found myself being the go-between for my band. Like, hey, can you tell Christy to do this and this with the merch? Or can she go do this? And then Christy would come to me and, and say, hey, can you tell your bandmates to, like, lay off me? Because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, and then the band would come to me and be like, Matt's being an a- right now. Can you tell him to blah, blah, blah? I'm like, yeah. you guys, was like this twisted communication. Yeah. yeah, like, but because of that situation, we fought a lot. And Christy and I would get in fights about anything and everything just because of the tension and the pressure of being... You know, we slept in the van with the band. Like, we had no alone time. Like, Yeah, this was in the good old days. <laughs> in the beginning, we, like, had a futon in the back, and we would line up like sardines. I would have Christy on one side of me and my bandmates on the other. <laughs> I guess fast forward about six months into our first year of touring, it all comes to a head, of course, on Warp Tour. Enter Warp Tour. On this particular tour, the Classic Crime decides to tour in a van instead of a tour bus which means that they will not have a driver for the long overnight drives that are required when you're touring festivals. And so one of the actual band members has to drive hundreds of miles at night and lose an entire night's sleep to get to the next venue. One evening, Matt was the driver, and just before heading out, he had to pick up Christy from a mustache party that she and an acquaintance were hanging out at. So it was my night to drive. I drive over in front, and I, I park the van, and I run it, and I see Christy. I'm like, we're, I'm parked out front. I have to drive all night. Can you come out? course she takes like 15 20 minutes and I, th- I sent another band member to come go in and get her and finally when she got back into the van I was just fuming mad like how could you number one like totally disrespect me because I have to sleep at some point and we've been on this tour for a couple weeks now and none of us have really slept or we're all just like aggravated and then number two you're hanging out with this annoying girl that is like seemingly influencing you to do stupid things and maybe like not be not not carry your weight with the group or whatever. Matt and Christy begin to argue, but remember, they live in a van with a bunch of other guys, and if they want to sort things out at all, they have to do it with an audience. So I'm driving, and I'm just like, I can't believe you guys. And, you know, Christy's a little lippy or whatever, and I'm like, you guys are just acting like total b****. And, like, Christy flips out, 
I crawl up to the front of the van. I was like, what are you gonna do? I'm driving, like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> He's just taunting me. And um, I, I crawled up to the front of the van and I just straight bit him in the arm. She, she's biting me in the arm. I was like, that doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. And he, and he kept saying it didn't hurt. So like, like a five-year-old kid, I just kept biting harder. Until and she drew blood. <laughs> And then my bandmates are all like screaming, like, pull over, don't kill everybody, leave the van and like go deal with it. So I pull over, I get outside of, I walk around to the side door of the van and I open it up. And like Christy's like holding onto the seat. She's like, no, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna talk to you. And I'm like, I start pulling on her arm to get her out of the van. She's like, help, help. And then. And then, like, Robbie... Um, There's more bandmates. I'm like... Robbie comes out of... Me. Like, Robbie can't see anything. He's in the back of the van. He comes out the back door and comes around. And he's like, don't you touch her. Like, he's going to... Like, he thinks I'm going to, like, abuse her or something. And really, I was just trying to get her out of the van so we could have a conversation. <laughs> and uh, so he comes around. He comes at me. So I just focused, like, all my rage at my guitar player. And I, like, picked him up and, like, slammed him on the ground and, like, headbutted him in the head. And then um, we see lights flash and we see a, a police officer. I pull him right up and like we're just arms around each other like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're buddies. We're just hanging out. I'm hanging out there. I still have my Hitler stash on from, yeah. the, from the mustache party. So they let us go. We pulled over um, and Christy like crawls in the back and it's just like sobbing. Uh, but the next day we sorted it. Obviously everyone, you know, yeah, cool, heads cooled down. Christy and I sorted it and it was just like, man, that cannot happen. And here's how I was hurt. And she's like, here's how I was hurt. And we apologize and everything's fine. And then we have to sit down with the entire band and just listen to each single one of them criticize and say how terrible our marriage is and how terrible we are as people. And like, listen to all of that because we had these fights in front of other people it, it forced us to really deal with the repercussions of it as opposed to having a fight alone and then just just going on about your day and not really yeah letting it pass by yeah. we didn't have the chance to do that steering blind in every accident i've caused there's no survivors i hope my passengers forgive me my mistakes we haven't made it to our destination yet we still have debts to pay but remember when we We're going to talk more about communication right after a quick word from our sponsors. So I'm going to be totally upfront with y'all and tell you that this episode has been really hard to make for two very different reasons. 
Reason number one is that communication is so wrapped into everything that we do, and that makes it super difficult to isolate without feeling like you have to backtrack and explain the thing right before the thing you just explained. Know what I mean? And secondly, because it feels so utterly convicting to me. I mean, I'm realizing things about the way that I communicate that I have never, ever, ever, ever thought about before. And they're terrible things. They are simply just terrible things. And so for this next part of the show, I thought it would be helpful to just talk about the different ways that we communicate. And y'all, it's crazy. So there are two primary ways to communicate with other people. The first is verbal communication, which was the first thing I thought about for this episode. So the way we talk to one another, right? The second communication style is nonverbal communication, which is essentially the real way that we talk to people. Let me explain what I mean. Let's start with verbal communication. When I was researching the different ways that people verbally communicate, I came up with a list of a few things like our vocabulary, or more specifically, the words that we choose to use when we speak to someone. And this may seem trivial at first, but let's just do a little role play, okay? I'm going to ask a question two different ways, and you tell me which one you like better. Ready? Hey, sweetheart, can you please take out the trash? It's starting to smell bad. Or, hey, fart face, the garbage smells as bad as your armpits. Why haven't you taken it out yet? See what I mean? And then there's this little thing called paralanguage, which refers to the stuff like how quickly we talk to someone. What words do we emphasize? Does our vocal tone go up or does it go down? Do we hesitate when we speak? Do we mumble? Those kinds of things. Now let's look at nonverbal communication. We'll start with body language. When Seth tells me about his day and how he was worried because one of his coworkers was really sick, do I stand there with my arms crossed like a mega bee with a scowl on my face? Or... Do I mirror his body language by having my own body language that shows him that I have compassion for both his concern and his coworker? What would that look like, you ask? Well, things like eye contact, facial expressions, body orientation. Am I turning away from him when he speaks to me, or am I being an active listener in the conversation and showing him that it matters to me? Now onto the trickier parts of communication, the stuff that I can't really categorize very well, so I just made up my own categories. The first one is the biopsychosocial spiritual model of communication, which would include things like family of origin, right? So like Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott were saying earlier, in one family, sarcasm might be the primary way in which different family members show love and affection, while in another family, it might be the ultimate form of insult. This is Seth and I to a T. Under that biopsychosocial spiritual communication model, there is also gender norms. So in North American society, men and women are actually taught through our culture to speak and communicate in different ways. And this is reflected in the way we communicate throughout our entire lives. It is deeply ingrained in us from birth and very, very, very hard to change. An example of this is the way that I have had to learn to be intentionally curt or brief with the men that I work with in the audio engineering world. And it actually feels wrong to me to speak to these men this way, but I know intellectually that it will yield better results. It's a total head trip. The next part gets a little wacky, but there's nothing I can do about it. So the next idea is the motivation behind our communication. So are we listening to our spouse in hopes of learning more information that we will then turn around and help solve a problem with? Or are we listening to find the next flaw in our spouse's argument that we can use as a weapon against them? Or maybe, put it in a simpler way, are we communicating to solve a problem or are we communicating to win a fight? There's also the messy business of communication through dysfunction, which might have a technical name, but I certainly don't know it. And y'all, this one hits me really close because this is probably the primary way in which I communicate to Seth. And it looks like this. 
I complain about something because if I complain, I know Seth will talk to me about it. Or I disapprove of his plans. I might not even care what his plans actually are, but if I disapprove of them, we can talk. There are like a million ways that people do this. Another example includes pretending to be sick all the time to get attention. And these are just ways to connect with other people that for some reason or another might feel safer to you. It is much easier for me to complain about the way that Seth stacks the firewood than it is for me to compliment him on being a kind father. So I just choose the path of least resistance and disapproval it is. Or to put it this way, I can't tell you what's good about it, but I can tell you what's bad about it. Then there is open and closed communication. Things like, are you actually willing to learn something new when you communicate with your spouse? Would you even be open to the idea that you might not know every single thing on the entire planet ever? Do you find new information helpful and inspiring or does it make you feel angry and defensive? Like, if you actually learn something new from your spouse, are you so closed off that you would defend the incorrect thing no matter what? I'm just asking. There's also direct and indirect communication. An example of direct communication is something like, hey Seth, I want you to clean these floors today, versus how come I'm the only one who ever cleans these floors? See the difference there? One is directly saying, I want you to do this thing, while the other one is indirectly saying that I want you to do this thing, but I don't want to tell you that I want you to do this thing. It's sort of like being passive aggressive. And while all of this information is really lovely, as humans, we tend to just go to what we know. And way down deep at the core of communication is connection. But unfortunately, we're taught our communication skills in a very biased setting, which essentially means that we never choose our communication style. We just go to what we know. I'm sarcastic because my family has always been sarcastic. And in my particular family circle, that is all fine and dandy. But when you add in a husband who thinks sarcasm is the work of Satan, things get a little twisted. But enough out of me. Here is Dr. Dan Siegel. You'll recognize him from other episodes. Here he is answering an urgent question that I have about communication. I am the type of person where I'm like, no, the way that I'm going to do this makes a lot more sense than the way my husband's going to do it, right? So mm -hmm. how do I honor and respect <laughs> that? <laughs> because I have a uh, really hard time with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, everyone does. In development, between three and nine, kids develop something called metacognition, which is thinking about thinking. One of the metacognitive skills that are, are, are hard for any of us to develop is called representational diversity. And what, what that means is a representation would be like a thought or a plan or, you know, an approach or whatever. That's the representation. Diversity means you've got one and your husband has another. So part of it is this breathing into that metacognitive skill where you say, look, uh, and I, how old are your kids, Melanie? How, how old are Eight, seven, and four. Eight, seven, and four. Okay. So you have an eight, seven, four. You say the eight-year-old, you know, signed up for camp, doesn't want to go. And your husband says, that's fine. Uh, he doesn't want to go to camp. That's fine. I didn't go to camp when I was a kid. It's fine. You go, no, no, no. If he signed up for it, he has to stick to it. Now, you can just say you're wrong. He's got to go to camp. I'm the mom. And I don't really value this. You're at work, blah, 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 whatever. Or you can say, okay, I'd like to hear your point of view so I can understand you're suggesting you drop out of camp. I have a different point of view, but I really want to understand your point of view. So he says, all right, here's my reasoning. He should be able to drop out of camp because X, Y, and Z. And you go, okay, tell me more about X. Tell me more about Y. Tell me more about Z. And you are genuinely interested in what he's saying. You're not just saying it to say it. And then he, in turn, would say, okay, so tell me what your point of view is. Well, I think he should stay in camp. Why? Well, because of A, B, and C. Or tell me more about A. Tell me more about B. Tell me more about C. Okay. Then you share 
the discussion. Okay, I see X and I see Y. I don't really understand Z. Tell me more about that. Oh, okay. And he says, yeah, I get A, B, and C. And I can see your point of view. I can see why you'd want him to go to camp. What are our values together as a co-parenting team? You know, well, our value is to teach him to have perseverance and grit. And, you know, we read this book on grit and we want him to realize that he should stick to it. Yes, but don't you know we should really be sensitive to his needs? And he's saying he doesn't want to go. And, you know, shouldn't we be tuning in? Doesn't Dan Siegel say attunement is everything? Well, actually, it's not what I say. But it's but attunement is important, but it's not everything. So then you come to some mutual agreement. I see our parenting goal is to teach him grit, to teach him to that people around him know what he's into, but we believe he can do it. And so we say, you make a collective decision, he's going to stay in camp. But even if that was the decision you wanted in the first place, you show genuine interest and respect for your husband's point of view. Together, you weighed the pros and cons. And together, you came to a mutual co-parenting decision. He isn't just going along with you. You together said that's probably best for our overall goal for our son's development. I love it. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> I hope I can that's do very, that. That's very different than saying, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm not really interested in what you have to say. Seth and I sat down with our producer, Madagascar, and talked about this stuff. <laughs> His name's just Matt. And then the first thing he said was this. Yeah, well, you know, if think about it extended to per- personality disorders. Great. So <laughs> if you take something where you, the way that you think you are coming across or a way that something you think about yourself isn't true, but you believe it's true, you know, you see that on the end of narcissism or some other sociopathy mm-hmm. or something where it just it's untethered from the reality anyway. Mm-hmm. And so all of us have that to some degree. Mm-hmm. So you can see how a relatively balanced person still thinks they're totally right and has not doesn't even have the ability to see that that they are wrong or mm-hmm. how that comes across. Yeah. So there's these, and I don't know if any of the people we interviewed talk about this, but the the concept of I statements. Um, no, I don't think any of them did. Okay. Um, I know they didn't actually. Sorry. I wish I had. Instead a, of saying to somebody, "You do this or you do this," and this makes me whatever, you just say, "I feel this way about this situation." Yeah, I, that, I the feel way it prevents defensiveness. What if I just exactly turned it into it, this? I feel like you did this bad thing. Uh, no, that's not the way to do it. Um, <laughs> you would say, you know what? What you said to me just now made um, made me feel. XYZ. When I feel that way, I think this is in jeopardy. And when I think this is in jeopardy, then I'm going to fight or flight and then, you know, retreat to whatever. Okay, let's set up mm-hmm. a scenario because yeah, no okay. one is going to say jeopardy. Yeah. What <laughs> so I, let's say nobody, nobody can follow, nobody has the, I mean, you just be more real and specific. Yeah. And say that so same. let's okay, say, sure. let's make up a scenario. Matt, you make up the scenario. Okay. Let me tell you, I'll give you one that's happened to me yesterday, two days ago. I was putting recessed lighting in our house, crawling around in the attic on my belly and insulation. Um, we have a new baby at home. Our house is a little crazy, trying to get under control. Uh, my wife is off work, and we have two kids, and I'm working as much as I can. And then on the weekends, I do whatever I can. That's the days I work on the house. And crawling in and out of the attic at 5 o'clock uh, in the middle of my project, my wife says to me, we don't have any plans for supper. We don't have any food for supper. And I said, Oh, well, don't worry about me. I just ate a piece of pork out of the fridge. I'll be fine, which made her very angry. I thought she meant, I, I expect her to be 
thank you for all the work you're doing, all the stuff you're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't have any supper prepared for you, and I feel bad. That's what I thought she was saying, or what she at least should have been saying from my point of view. <laughs> right. And she was upset that I that we didn't have plans together as a family, or that I wouldn't help take care of supper. You weren't or what planning did I want to, to do? cook. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah, but she, yeah, and so she took. She thought my response was was horrible, and she thought my response was selfish. That it was about that versus what should we do as a family for supper? Okay, so tell me how that whole scenario, entire entire scenario, would be if uh, you came down out of the attic, you know, five o'clock around supper time or whatever, and Bridget said to you, "Hey, Matt, I would like to eat together with you tonight. What mm. would you like to do?" How would the whole thing go? Uh, right. I think that would have solved everything. I, I, well, I may well. There's a chance I would have said I can't eat supper. I got to do this work or whatever. I'm right. In the of a and project, you might but. you might have a, a, a an argument might come out of that because she would be feeling disappointed or neglected mm-hmm. or need some help with the kids or whatever, and you'd be focused on you know the project the whole time. The point of I statements is reflecting everything back on yourself, not projecting mm-hmm. anything. Right. Yep. Because what did what did what did, yeah, what did Bridget did. project in that? Um, she, so she wanted time with you. She wanted um, maybe a respite or help from yep. the kids, right? And um, supper. She was hungry, right. right? And probably tired, right? right. So she had yep. four things. Right. Go- she had four things going on. And of course, when we have a bunch of stuff going on, it's really hard to be articulate and as like nice and polite as we want. Um, but just if if you if you could think of. Um, hey Matt, I, w- I would like to spend time with you tonight. And of course, this nobody speaks this way, but like, hey, let's meet and you hang out tonight. You know, when do you think you'll be done? Oh, six o'clock. Give me an hour because I really want to hang out. Yep. You know, she lodged it as a complaint. Exactly. You know, which I didn't even I didn't even interpret correctly. In the first, anyway, it, it's almost like um, sh- we we have certain feelings, and it's really easy to like pick up those feelings and throw them on somebody. Yes. You know, so she right. volleyed. Right. She volleyed. Oh, okay. If Matt, I'm, I'm gonna she make, I'm to gonna feel, make this person responsible. Yeah. If he or she doesn't come back with what I want, there's gonna be trouble, right? Yeah. Well, it's just you want the other person to feel the way you feel, so then they can solve it, right? So I'm gonna dump my feelings and emotions onto you, which will cause you to feel these negative things that I'm feeling. Those right. four things she right. wanted me to feel them. Thus, maybe we could solve it together. May have even been her mindset, but I would right. take that as uh, an offense. Like she's trying to put things on me to make me feel bad when. She shouldn't. She should be making me feel good because I'm doing good. <laughs> so the three of us came up with an example of how we can use I statements when we're faced with conflict, but we kind of had a hard time with it. Yeah, I'm trying to think it's about all you got. Yeah, it's, no, just go with the thing. Oh, just how about do the like laundry example? Oh yeah, there's there you go. Why do you always set your yeah. shoes under the bed? You, they don't go there. The shoes go out there, and you always set them under the bed. Why can't you just do this one thing? Okay, so when when you say that, it makes me feel like I'm a little kid. Right, it makes me kind of go back to when I was, you know, six years old, just getting barked at by mm-hmm. my dad and grandma. Okay, and, and so what would be a typical response to that? Okay, so I may say, "What are you talking about? I don't always leave my shoes there. Plus, I just got home from working all day. I'm not really thinking about my shoes." Right? I thought right. I thought it's fine, which there, is totally right? defensiveness. And you're right; it's like a six year old. Right. Okay. So this is how we should do it. How I should right. do it. So I. I don't like it when there's shoes in the hallway or under the bed because I kick them when I make the bed. So can I ask you to put your shoes in a different spot because I like it more? (laughs) No. 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 I feel like you are an idiot. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's how I feel like yeah. all my eye statements are going saying, to but that's sound. Just, that's just immature, you know. I feel a, like you can't clean right. the house. I feel like I'm awesome and you're really not <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I don't like this feeling. <laughs> no, you would say when you leave your shoes there and I have to clean them and I trip over them when I'm like trying to run because Hattie needs a towel because she spilled milk all over the place and I trip over your shoes and there's mud on, on the floor from where you walk through it makes me, and I have to clean it, it really makes me feel like you don't appreciate me. And what I want from that is to feel appreciated. I want to feel like my work all day around the house or otherwise is worthwhile. And I want to be valued in that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I would like from you. Okay, so like even the act of like explaining yourself and taking total control and having complete awareness of your feelings in that, what does it set me up to do? Yeah, it's very hard to respond to that by yelling at you defensively. It sets up you to have empathy. And what else? Uh, to do the thing. Yeah. And so what would be, yeah, so it's increasing your chances of getting a good response. Because first of all, it's not going to trigger that defensiveness thing where you're, you're going to be defensive just because you feel attacked. Right. So now you you don't feel attacked by what she said. Plus, right. she's made an appeal to have sympathy for the way that she feels. So now you could still choose to say, I don't care if that makes you feel that way. I don't, I, you know, it makes your argument of I was busy at work all day and I'm tired seem a lot sillier. Yeah. And so you're less likely to make that and you're more likely to see that. And, right. And, and you're not going to feel attacked. So you're not going to be de- defensive. So you're more, at least more likely to give real consideration to her thing and understand how you behaving differently will help her. So you all know that in making this podcast, Seth and I recorded ourselves having conversations as well as arguments. And let me tell you something. Nothing shines a light on communication abilities or lack thereof, like recording an argument. I mean, just listen to this. All these things. And when I realized it, I was like, okay, I need to be different. I need to be better. So for 12 years, I've been working on all of those things and I'm very different. And for the entire time that we've been married, like... I am saying these are my faults and my flaws. And then you have been pointing out all of my faults and flaws again and telling the therapist, like, look at all of her faults and flaws. But I don't really hear you talking about your part to play in things. You act like you're some sort of passive victim to my idiocy or my, like, neglect of making resting face or something. Like, that is not an issue to be mad about. You know what I mean? Like, Nope, I do not know what you mean. Here's me, Seth, and Matt again, talking about what it felt like to listen back to that argument. And it was really interesting listening back to this argument because I was trying to tell you something. Like, Seth, I need you to understand that when you do this thing, it makes me feel like this. But I promise I would not say it. I would dance around this topic like Mm. every which way I possibly could because I didn't want to have to tell you what I wanted you to know. I wanted you to get it. I wanted to like holds my ideas close enough to you that you could like, oh, I get it. And I, and she wants me to like buy her flowers, but I did not did not want to have to say, please buy me flowers. Is it because that waters it down and doesn't make it yeah. as special to yeah. you? Yeah, but so in listening to back to this argument that you and I had, it is so infuriating. Infuriating? Infuriating. Because I never... To who? To yourself? Yes. To listen, to, so I would highly recommend that people record their arguments mm-hmm. and dissect them because I thought I was being like as clear as I could possibly be. Like, oh, why doesn't Seth get this thing? And then I listened back to it and I'm like, what the hell am I trying to even say? Because mm-hmm. I I would not like just come out and say it because it felt well. There's there's a couple different things. It felt 
too overt, too like, I'm asking for exactly what I want. And I think that it's a, it's like a female thing. I think that we are trained to not say exactly what we want. And if we do say exactly what we want, we're bitchy, right? Yeah, so there's this, really. <laughs> so there's this undergirding fear that you'll be looked at or perceived as being totally bitchy. Oh my goodness. So y'all know I wanted to make that into two episodes too, right? But I ain't got time for that. So in wrapping up, there are a few things that stood out as being important to me. The first thing is that almost all of us are communicating on autopilot and accidentally, meaning that we are not really thinking about and choosing on purpose the style and way in which we communicate. And this leads to all sorts of problems. The next thing is this idea that communication is the primary way that we connect with those around us. And that reminded me of what Dr. Dan Siegel said back in episode number five. In fact, the process of connecting was deeply at the heart of health. Whether it was enzymes connecting with different molecules or human beings connecting with each other. So, and then this other little gem about emotional intelligence. And basically emotional intelligence involves the capacity for self-awareness, self-regulation, mediating the difficulties between self and other, and then also working out how you understand emotions impact the lives of other people. But perhaps the most important thing for me in this episode is the idea that if I am really interested in growing in my marriage and in my communication with other people, I can actually assess my communication skills, evaluate them, and change them. How would I do this, you ask? Well, just like I did in the episode, I recorded myself talking or arguing with my husband. And as a side note, I want to make it perfectly clear that I never ever recorded Seth and I without asking him if it was okay first. And that's really important to note because it would break his trust if I recorded him without his knowledge. So don't do that. It ain't right. But if you and your partner are up to it, or even you and your kids are up to it, it might just help you understand the reality of your communication styles, where you excel and where you need to grow. And lastly, I want to share the idea of creating a goal for your communication. And this might sound silly at first, but stick with me. If communication is connection and connection is at the heart of health, then it seems like setting a goal for the way that we connect with others would be massively impactful in our lives and in the lives of those we love. But Melanie, what do you mean set a goal for communication? Well, let me tell you. You know those vision boards that are really popular right now? If you don't know what they are, they're essentially like a corkboard thing or maybe a special spot on your wall where you put up inspirational quotes and pictures that represent a thing that you want to do. And it could be anything from your dream job to a vacation or business plan or a home design. So why not do this with our communication style? Here's how I imagine this would work. Think of the person or people in your life that have made you feel the most comforted, content, and loved through their communication style. Is it your grandma? Your best friend's dad? The lady you work with at the coffee shop? I mean, it could literally be anybody. Now, dissect what it is that they are doing that makes you feel comforted, content, and loved. Is it the tone of voice that they use? Is it their vocabulary choice? Is it the fact that they encourage you instead of discourage you? What specific things are they doing that make you feel a sense of connection? Now, vision board this for yourself. And let me tell you why I think this is important. We so often think of the things that we don't have instead of the things that we want to become, do, or create. So I would say something to myself like, oh, I'm so sarcastic, or I'm so negative, or I'm never kind. When instead I should be saying things like, I want to be more inviting. I want to learn how to be encouraging and optimistic. Do you see the difference? One comes out of a space of what I don't have, and the other comes out of a space of what I want to become. All right, we're back. All right, girlfriend, what'd you think of that episode? 
As always, I love every episode. Uh, what I like mm-hmm. in particular about that episode is that I start to become pretty sassy in that episode, <laughs> and I really enjoy that. You became sassy to yourself, I think, too. I, yeah, like my reading, my narration. Yeah. My narration was sassy. Yeah. I appreciate my own sassy narration. <laughs> and that is basically my favorite part. Great. Um, so it's all about you. You've communicated to me that it's uh, all, all about, about me. You. That's cool. Now, I love this episode. One, one of the, my biggest takeaways in the episode all about communication is when I sat down and defined what a bunch of types of communication are. Because mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that people struggle with is we hear all the things like, oh, you're supposed to say things this way or talk this way or whatever, but Mm -hmm. we don't know the things we don't know. We don't know like, oh, paralanguage, body language, all like the meaning underneath the tone in which you said something all communicates things. And we don't actually know that when someone doesn't sit down to say, hey, when you cross your arms and make that really mean looking face, you are communicating. Well, I'm going to stop you there because a lot of people do and I am one of those people you are not one of those people. You know why? A lot of people do what? No. Like yes. pair language. Well, I think like it's can just, interpret body yeah. language and stuff. And I don't think in your family of origin that was a thing, really. I, yeah, I you think know? people don't care in my family of origin. That's and right. And I think about it even the example that came to my mind is when I ride the bus. If I do anything in public, mm-hmm. I often tell people, even in our community, like our Maple Valley community thing, I'm like, say hi to me if you see me. I, yes, I will look mad. Right. And it's a totally intentional thing. I'm not trying to be mean, but I, as a woman, am like, I ain't trying to invite stuff. And I'm, I look mad a yeah. lot as a defense mechanism and as a communication tool. Ah, now that, you just hit it on the head as a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Because in my assessment because i'm an awesome fair yeah a ferret therapy familist um that is a, a defense mechanism like okay you lay low you're gonna throw up the vibe so people don't come to you and so you don't get hurt or have to expose yourself or be vulnerable or get out of Hashtag your comfort zone every female in the pacific northwest <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Now you're. I'm thinking about our friend Bridget. Like Seattle. It's just right. all Seattle people. Seattle. But in the other, I don't know, majority of family styles, which I come from, some of us were more. Um, well, you're just know. Southern. You're raised to well, those things well, well, matter more. Southern, but steeped in kind of an emotional reactive family, right? So I had to be on the lookout. I'll say so. <laughs> I know. I had to be on the lookout for like, oh, is so-and-so cool today? Can you approach them? Don't make them mad kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was a really big thing in my family. So that's what a lot of our arguments were about. Like, she looks like she's mad. She's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, you would I'm get like, mad at the way that I was presenting. And it, you know, honestly, and it's still a thing. Not like mad of, of where you're presenting, but you don't tell me if you like stuff or not. I'm just like, oh, there's there's no there's no feedback loop in that. Well, there other is. Other than like resting bee face. I'm like, yeah. Resting beautiful face? Yeah, <laughs> I know that. I feel that all day. Nice try. But one of the things like with all these types of communication, like you said, paralanguage and direct and indirect and closed and open communication styles, turning in and turning away, it's like, I just wonder how even couples make it sometimes, yeah, I know. you know, honestly, and I get yeah. overwhelmed. I'm like, ah, but I think this is a good foray or a good introduction, hopefully, to show couples how you communicate, how you present really, really does matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really apparent too. It becomes more apparent 
to you as an adult and a person once you have kids because you see your communication style mirrored through your children. Right. And when they do that thing to you that you do to your spouse but mm-hmm. never bothers you because you're not on the recipient, you're, you're not on it. the receiving side of it. Mm-hmm. And then they, and you know, they do like Stone Cold whatever and you're mm-hmm. like, what? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right. Uh, but they do something. Also 362. <laughs> they do something that bothers you. It's more apparent. You can go, oh, I now can see why that bothers my partner. Right. You know, so I think that that's another interesting thing. But I would, I don't want for couples to wait that long. That's a long time before your kid starts actually like mimicking your Giving behavior. Giving back. Yeah. And then the, the messed up thing is kids often get in trouble for things like we don't want do. them to do certain things, but they're like, I learned it from oh, yeah. you, you know, like, well, you're getting in trouble yeah. for it. So again, more than, more is caught than taught um, there. And then here's one really cool thing that I really, like and have struggled with and have done to you and you have definitely done to me and that was that concept of volleying emotions over you remember that part of the conversation like Mm -hmm. i can say something to you um in hopes of getting some unmet need met but then having you interpret that, pick up the slack, and then do the work for me. Like Matt and Bridget's whole dinner while he's up in the attic thing. Yeah, exactly. And just all the 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 rain, the, the giant hairy yarn ball of, <laughs> of communication that has to get figured out that way. And oftentimes it's through an argument, and then sometimes you figure it out. But often, uh, more often times, is just this back and forth communication of a giant hairy yarn ball and nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing gets done. You're like, oh my gosh, why can't we just communicate? Yeah. Well, and one of the things that that makes me think of is over the last probably six months to a year, as we've made this weird, you know, the transition of living in an apartment, all of the things we went through with kids and all of that stuff. Hell year. Not, it definitely wasn't. You are drama. (laughs) Oh gosh, people. I'm just kidding. Hell year. We moved to an apartment 15 minutes away and moved to an apartment. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You, y'all heard it here. Um, but that that transition and those things and having to work on the house and seeing our miscommunication so, I, I, you know, I think it's more from the house renovation side of it. Mm. So working on the house and I would communicate something to you that would somehow get turned into something completely different in your mind and in your interpretation of what I communicated mm-hmm. and not, not any fault of yours or any fault of mine, just... Mm-hmm oh, this is very clear to me that we don't communicate like crystal clearly. Right. And we need to figure out how to do that because when I say I want, you know, like this is the siding I want for the house and you come back with the shingles and I'm like, hey, I wanted hardy plank, yo, what happened? Mm. We had board and batten, hardy plank, what happened from here to here mm-hmm. or whatever? That didn't actually happen, but it's an example. It would happen. But um, it's things like that where this last six months to probably last six months, I realized I need to tell Seth without any weird... Because like I mentioned in the thing, I would dance around topics when right. we recorded our arguments. I would never want to say what I wanted because you it would... felt like, well, if he doesn't know, he doesn't really love me. Now I'm like, you know what? If he if he actually listens to exactly what I say and gets the exact thing that I exactly asked for exactly, mm-hmm. then I will know exactly that he loves me exactly. Right. And now it's not something I'm afraid of. It's I'm not like, oh, I don't want to make it weird mm-hmm. by telling him what I want, you know, whatever. But oftentimes, and I felt this way too, like I wish that I didn't have to tell you. It would just be that you would intuit like, oh, Seth wants... Thanks, Nicholas Sparks. 
Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> the guy who wrote the, those the, novels. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think I cried during that one, but whatever. whatever. But yeah, you want to tell me and you don't want me I to... I wanted you to intuit things yes. like, I wish that you would just come up and hug me from behind or whatever, you know? Yeah, and I like, agree. Stuff that... like that, but you don't think about it. And oftentimes, because of your communication style, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something. There's no, There's no feedback loop except for nothing is different, but I'm doing all this stuff, then that gets really confusing. But the idea of volleying back and forth and putting the onus on mm-hmm. someone else to meet your needs is, that doesn't work. No, and That let absolutely me, doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, let me point this out. Like, And I think we've said this in either in this episode or maybe it was just in a conversation. But if you told me, if you said, mm. hey, sweetheart, I would love it if you would just come and sit on my lap for like 10 minutes. Right. I would love that because I would go, oh, you know what? I know exactly what will make Seth happy. Really? And I can do that, right? I'm Other- going to try that. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm like, I don't know what he wants. He's not saying anything. And I'm not going to guess what he wants because sometimes when I guess what you want, it annoys you. And you're like a number nine. I'm not going to say anything until I'm mad. Mm-hmm. So it is not helpful for me to assume that I understand. So the best thing would be you to say, this is oh. exactly what I want. And guess what? For a number nine, that is one of the hardest things to say. <laughs> it really is. Uh, will you sit on my lap right now? No, I didn't say, will you sit on my lap right now? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I, I Sorry. Uh, totally um, misconstrued that. But talking about not volleying things and taking responsibility and taking ownership, I want to tell you guys about a perfect book that I think you should get. It's called Extreme Ownership mm. by a, a former Navy SEAL. His name is Jocko Willink. And you know how you can get that book for free, Mel? I do. You can go to audibletrial.com forward slash audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy marriage and get the book Extreme Ownership. I've had it for a long time because I heard about it, read part of it. It was like, oh, I can't get into it. But then I dove headfirst into it and it is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I want Melanie to read it. She hasn't read it yet. I will. But we'll actually have the book. So we don't have to go to audibletrial.com. Oh, I won't read a book. I will Anatomy of Marriage. You interrupted the plug. Sorry, go ahead. Anatomy of Marriage. (laughs) You can get it for free. And uh, you will learn how not to volley, how to take extreme ownership of your feelings. And your communication. Get what you want and your communication and make your life right. Because y'all, that book has rocked my world. So go check it out. uh, Audibletrial.com forward slash anatomy of marriage. And that's my segue there. To get the free audiobook. To get the free audiobook. Of anything. And you can get any audiobook you want. But mm-hmm. that's just one we highly recommend. And it's really helpful in communication. Yeah. Um, what else was there? Um, I think that I... Well, one thing I wanted to talk about, when you come at somebody sideways, that's my language for mm-hmm. um, coming at someone like using always or never. Superlatives. What'd you call me? Yes. What A about superlative? Them? I don't know what that is, actually. Um I have really good grammar and diction, but I don't know what a pejorative noun or whatever is. Go ahead. Anyway, when you come at somebody sideways, the only thing that you are going to get back if if you haven't just beaten down somebody or whatever, they are ambivalent, they don't care, is that same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. if you you always do this, no, I don't. You see, and we talk about it in the show Mm -hmm. because it's this and this was this one time. So you really, really, really have to make sure that you're not coming at people sideways because guess what? Oftentimes that happens and then the person that came at the other person sideways is wondering what <laughs> happened. 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, you set this whole mess up. Yeah. Right? It's like Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan. Exactly. Just bust out the kneecaps. <laughs> and no one knows what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking of that during our recorded argument. Tanya Harding? No. And I, I've always forget that like, oh yeah, we recorded arguments and stuff. And I know that we recorded you arguing, but you said that you got annoyed at yourself when you listened back to Ugh, it. Tell me about that. Worst. It like, just what did you realize out of that? That I think the biggest takeaway there were probably two or three big takeaways in that is that the and the first primary biggest takeaway in recording myself and you and I arguing mm-hmm. was that I never actually made a point. Mm. I never could say. Well, and it goes back to kind of the clearing structure vibe. Mm -hmm. I was not, I didn't have a linear thought process. I was just angry. I was venting. I wanted you to do something about it, but I didn't want to tell you what I wanted you to do because then it wouldn't feel genuine. But I didn't want to tell you what I needed because that would seem stupid. Do you think that you really knew what you needed there? No, and that's mm. the thing. So that's that's, that's that's the mother of everything else that yes, birthed I, everything else. I didn't know what I needed. Mm-hmm. I had lots and lots of feelings that I hadn't processed before, like before talking to you about them. Mm. So I would come to you with like a tsunami of feelings, no clear direction, no actual, here's the takeaway, what I want to do. Here's my next steps. I had no, none of that. Mm-hmm. Had I had the clearing structure, I would have had all of that and I could say, hey, this is the real problem. Let's figure it out, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I think what's so amazing is this This episode actually is the first time you mention the clearing structure, but you mention it in I statements. Oh, really? You bring it up and remember Matt and I are like, I think you are bad, right? Yeah, and I was so, like, no, that's not how yeah, it works. Yeah, and that was the very first time you ever talked about I statements was mm-hmm. in this episode, which I totally love because mm-hmm. I statements became the clearing structure, mm-hmm. right? That whole thing and it's in our app and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. which we have an app. Go to getyourmarriageon.com and get the clearing structure. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things when I recorded our arguments and listened back, I I realized I wander aimlessly, but with anger. Right. I'm like a, a really angry animal, just like circling a camp, smacking stuff. You're just like I an can. ill, wet cat. Yeah, just a mad, <laughs> angry cat. So then that's the first thing I realized. The second thing is that I don't think I understood. Well, I, I'm only understanding this now. I think didn't think it's at the time, but that... I have to own mm. just some of my feelings. Mm-hmm. And this Dr. Siegel, Dan Siegel talks about uh, differentiation. What is it? Uh, representational, representational differences. differences. Mm-hmm. And I had no concept of that. Mm-hmm. I had no concept that uh, everything shouldn't be done my way. Mm. And I think it's a birth order thing. It's a baby of the family thing. But it's also just like what I see modeled in my home. Like That is crazy. You do everything mom's way. Right. In this arena and in dad's arena, you do everything this way, Mm -hmm. right? So if it's cars, if it's work, if it's money and school, it's dad. Mm -hmm. If it's home, if it's, you know, meals, if it's furniture, Mm -hmm. it's mom. And you never, ever question it. Well, that that serves a purpose, right? Because it it worked at least... system. Yeah, it's a system. I think it worked at least functionally, probably not as well emotionally, you know? That makes sense. and, And I'm just thinking like... I like to do things that you don't like to do, right? Like hunt and go to Dubai alone at a conference. Like I really love those things, right? It's really weird what? examples. <laughs> well, I like to go to Dubai alone. <laughs> well, I've only been there once. But, <laughs> but you liked it. Right. And so 
how can we so that's a I guess a representational differences and I I like that idea because I get to be differentiated mm-hmm. from this relationship it's just not all 100% mm-hmm. Melanie all the time and vice versa is not 100% Seth so I get to do what I find mm-hmm. uh, what I get energy from how I can be creative what's adventurous mm-hmm. and all these things and you be okay with that right there's things that I don't you know find consider uh, really interesting that you love you love mm-hmm. like audio engineer stuff and you know uh, i lip reading yeah stuff like that you like, like talking during movies <laughs> <laughs> riff tracks right and Mystery but that's Science fine theater 3000 right so in a healthy spot we just talked about me going to a conference which i want you to go to but mm-hmm. you might not be able to and i really want to because it'd be awesome and things like that like yeah mm-hmm. it's okay if it's in balance right if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I'm going to get real. Uh, if things aren't in balance, you guys, we get emails all the time, all the time saying, oh my goodness, we need some counseling. We're in trouble. Mm-hmm. What can we do? Can you, you're, you're a licensed therapist. Can you, can you? Everyone rec- wants us to be their therapist and y'all, we ain't got that much time. <laughs> no, we, we don't have that much time. I would like to, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And, um, we need therapy, right? It's okay to go talk to a therapist. It's it's Great really good. So it. we are absolutely thrilled and stoked to bring to you guys Faithful Counseling. And Faithful Counseling is a solution for people seeking traditional mental health counseling who would prefer hearing from the perspective of a Christian. If you're seeking mental health, a mental health professional who is a practicing Christian, Faithful Counseling may be a great option for you. Now... I am a Christian, right? But I don't always have to do counseling through a Christian perspective, yeah. right? We're not yeah. just throwing Bible verses on everything. We're just All throwing the- Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hit you up the head sometimes with a Bible. But getfaithful.com forward slash anatomy of marriage will hook you up with a licensed counselor mm-hmm. in your area. And this is teletherapy, right? Mm-hmm. I've done teletherapy before on Zoom and Skype, and this is completely confidential. It's HIPAA compliant, mm-hmm. all the stuff, and it's much, much cheaper than coming to see me, right? But this is not that much. And you can access your counselor through text, through email, through voicemail, and Zoom or Skype. So go to get faithful.com forward slash anatomy of marriage and you will love it let Mm -hmm. me know when you go there and check it out yeah we are so excited about this because it is we've always wanted to be bringing the resources that wish we that we wish we had had when we were going through the hardest part of our marriage and y'all this is something i wish had existed when we were going through the hardest parts of our marriage yeah we could have our own counselor be like hey what's going on i just had an argument with my wife i need to talk about this she just threw a bible at me (laughs) right you have a licensed counselor on tap all the time. So again, I'll say it again. Getfaithful.com forward slash anatomy of marriage. Check it out. Yes. Okay. What else? I think that was a really good episode. One thing that I really loved that I brought up was this idea of communicating through dysfunction. And I remember mm-hmm. that was one of my sassy narrative moments where I said, I'm sure it has a clinical name, but y'all, I don't know it. And mm-hmm. I left. Mm-hmm. But this idea that I could never tell you what was right, but mm. I could always tell you what was wrong. Right. And or or I could start an argument with you about your plans because at least I know you'll talk to me. Mm-hmm. And that was literally something I, I realized through making this podcast and talking about communication styles and all of that was that I was doing that. I, I do that more than I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is totally a family of origin thing. My 
I, and I, I adore my family. I love them. Talk to them all the time. But m- the majority of the things we talk about are what's wrong, mm. what's bad, what was dumb. How did how did I get cheated? How was it? Whatever. And it's 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 like a news channel. If it bleeds, yeah. it leads. <laughs> yes, actually, King Five. It's Como. Um, but it really is weird because I had this realization of oh, I talked to Seth. I, I will pick a fight because I know he'll talk to me. Mm. He'll at least stay here and talk to me if I'm even if it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And um, re- that realization is huge for me. Right. Just uh, for one, it goes, oh, well, let's not do that. That is not pleasant. No one wants that. Let's not do that. That's dumb. Yeah, it, it's really it's really dumb because it doesn't get you the affection or attention or relationship that you want. And in fact, it it really disempowers you. Like the only person, the, the only way that this person will pay attention to me is if I like have to have to like argue with them you know think about if think think about if you're like a dog or something Mm -hmm. and you just like bite people so they'll like yell at you and like hold you down or something Mm -hmm. like how weak and how insecure and how pathetic is that dog patty (laughs) patty yeah our old dog you know you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so don't don't be a pathetic weak little dog in your relationship Mm -hmm. tell your spouse what you're thinking what you want how you're feeling and how you want to connect and guess what? You have to know those things way before, uh-huh. light years before you even go to your spouse. Yeah, with and that. that's another thing is I don't, I honestly did not have the skill set or the sort of training as a human mm-hmm. to know those things. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know I really wanted connection with you. Mm-hmm. I just thought I was mad or I just thought, well, if I do this, then we can talk, but I don't, I don't even care what we're talking about. You know? I, I think subconsciously we know that we want connection. We know that we need mm-hmm. connection. But like you said, we just don't know how. I wouldn't have known how to communicate it for sure. Mm. You know, and like, like you saying, as a nine, I don't want to tell you to come sit on my lap or ask you to come sit on my lap. I'd rather just say nothing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that idea where I'm like, well, the only skill set I have is complaining. Mm. Here I go. Mm-hmm. You know, and instead of saying what I really want is to snuggle with you. I'll just tell you, I, I think you should put your shoes away instead. Yeah. That's what I know. You can't put muddy water in clean water and expect to get clean water. That's the analogy I was hoping you would say. Well, <laughs> let, okay, let me tell I'm you. Just, it's, you it's like negativity begets negativity and it just feeds and it just goes and goes and goes and goes, you know? So you're yeah. just like, oh, I'll throw more negativity on it to like amp up or, or ramp up the whole conversation. It's like, no, that's not how it works, people. Yeah. And that brings me to, I totally forgot about this, but we have our workbook. That's right. Right. So I made an entire workbook for season one, all of these episodes, because I love humans and their marriages and relationships getting better. So episode number eight has a corresponding chapter in the workbook, and it has all of these questions about your own communication. So mm-hmm. let us I'm just going to pick some random ones, but it says, take a minute to think about your own mindset when it comes to communication. Are you willing to listen to your partner when you feel like their idea is not as good as yours? That's a big fat no on mine. Mm. Um, How do you communicate when someone has an idea that you do not agree with? Example, do you revert to being a bully? Do you get angry because you have to explain your side of things? Do you put them down? Or or at number nine, as I would do, I would go along with it, but then Mm -hmm. have resentment and like, Mm -hmm. you know, get mad later. Yep. Which communication strategy do you struggle with the most? Mindset, paralanguage, communication, honesty, clarity, being a freaking grown up. Mm. (laughs) Um, And again, there's, there's tons of questions in here that walk you through your actual communication issues in your marriage. So please go to anatomyofmarriage.com 
and click the workbook button and you can get the workbook. It's only 24 bucks. It is better than therapy. It's cheaper um, than it's cheaper real than therapy. therapy. I think right. you're really going to like it. It is so, 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 so helpful. There's, like I said, a chapter for every episode of season one and we I we just love the workbook. It is such a cool tool and people are using it in church groups. They're mm-hmm. using it with you know in group settings. So get it. Love it. You love it. You love it. And that, um hmm? that's right. So yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. I found it I mean even listening back to it again. Mm-hmm. I know we say this every single time, but <laughs> I learned so much listening back, so much that I think even applies to parenting that I'm excited to kind of put into our family in a new way and think mm-hmm. through again. I think just relearning these things and sitting in them again and going through the workbook and thinking of it more deeply is really mm-hmm. awesome. So again, we highly encourage you to get the workbook. Go to anatomyofmarriage.com, click on the orange workbook button, and we will see you next week, hopefully, if I do not get sick again, we will see you next week with episode number nine. All right. Bye. See you later. Bye.